with that being said, let's get into it. So Romans chapter 3, verse 23. If we can go ahead and all stand up together for the reading of God's word. It says this, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 through 25. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Let's pray. Lord, I pray uh, as we gather here on this 4th of July and as, as we remember um, our, the founding of our nation and our independence, God, that, that we would look to this passage and that you would just humble our hearts, that you would soften our hearts, that we might not think that we know better than you, but rather, Lord, we would seek uh, your truth and your word as guidance to our life. God, may we, we come into this place and be willing to be wrong and be willing to have you change our view on things. We thank you for all that you give us. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. Well, how many of you in here like traveling? Y'all traveling people? I am not a traveling person. I, uh, I'm a homebody kind of guy. If we go on vacation uh, after a few days, I am ready to get back home uh, because that's, that's my happy place. I've got my TV, I've got my bed, I can do all these things. Um, what doesn't mix well with that is when you take a homebody like me and then throw him into an extreme traveling situation. So a few years ago, I think it was 2015, uh, I went with the church on a mission trip to the Philippines. Uh, we have a sister church over there that, that we started and that we help. And so we go over there every few years and check in on them and, and see how we can help. And uh, how many of you have ever flown internationally? It's not easy. It's not fun to fly internationally. Um, those, those trips are pretty brutal. Um, so for the Philippines trip, it's about a 24-hour span of traveling, uh, about four or five flights with layovers, uh, different languages. You have to keep up with your bags through all of them. Uh, the longest flight is about 15 hours. And uh, have you ever been on a flight where you're seven hours in and then you realize you're not even halfway there? Like that's, that's miserable right there. So, so this is me. I already don't super love traveling. Um, and I was on this, this flight. And so uh, we were coming back the, from the Philippines. And the first couple of flights are like little like one hour flights. And then there's a medium flight that's like four to five hours that uh, takes you to Hong Kong. And then there's a layover in Hong Kong. Well, that flight right there, the four or five hour one, um, we started the flight and we ascended and you know like how like pressure builds up and then it pops and releases. Uh, so that happened, like pressure built up in my head and it never popped. Has anyone ever had that happen to them? Yeah, it is, it's, it's hard to put to words. I can't describe to you the pain of that. Like, it's like your head is about to explode and it's this ear that is receiving the full brunt of it. Uh, words can't describe how much agony and pain I was in. I was about halfway through that flight um, to Hong Kong and I just looked around because I thought to myself, surely I'm not the only one thinking the world's ending. Uh, 
but sure enough, I was. So we land in Hong Kong airport and our team goes to the food court. We had a couple hours and I remember sitting there with the mission team and I think um, Tina and Gary, y'all were there with us, right? Was that the one that was on? Yeah. They were like having a good time. I was just laying down in the food court, just miserable. Uh, And what was coming up after this flight was the 15 hour flight. And so I was just like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do this. Like the kind of weariness and misery that I was in, again, I, I just don't know if I could ever describe to you the words. And, and what, what I'm getting at is, do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel so wearied and tired and frustrated with your life that you just don't even know how to bear it anymore? It's like, uh, like, like it may be um, you know, with your job or it may be with your finances or your husband or your kids or your wife or your family or who knows. There's just so much chaos surrounding you in your life that it's wearying you because you just have no clue when this is going to end. Well, I was thinking about on what to preach today. I... I kept landing on this idea of weariness and tiredness because as we, as we gather together for the 4th of July and, and we just take some time to remember our nation, I don't know about you, but when I look at our nation, I am tired and I am wearied by our nation right now. Like, like you get on the, the news and it seems that every day the culture is shifting further and further and further away from God to the point that, that uh, what we call good is actually evil and what we call evil is actually good. It's like, like I wake up some days and I see it and I'm just filled with frustration and anger. Other days I just laugh about it because if I don't laugh, I'll cry. Uh, some days I... Um, Uh, think about the insanity of of it all and I'm just confused. But most days I look at it and I'm just tired and I'm just weary, just wondering to myself, when is this going to end? When am I going to wake up and the world is as it should be? And so if you uh, feel discouraged, if you feel tired, if you feel angry and frustrated about the state of our nation today, then, then the sermon is for you as well as me. And we're going to spend some time digging into the Bible. And, and what I want to do is, is look in the Bible and pull out three reminders that God says about this world. And in these three reminders, if, if we can just wrap our head around them, then, then maybe it can give us hope about uh, what's going on in the world today, hope about the, the, what we have in Christ and hope about what Christ has for us in the future. Um, now, I call, these, uh, I call these reminders today because today I'm not going to present to you any earth-shattering news. Uh, like, like, in all reality, you're going to leave here today knowing the exact same information as what you came in with. But the goal of this message isn't to give you more information that you don't know. The goal of this message is to take that information that is burrowed in our brain and just move it 15 inches down to burrow it in our heart. Because sometimes we're really good at having a functional knowledge of the Bible, but we haven't allowed that knowledge to um, work its way into our heart and then out into our actions. And so I want to present to you three today or three reminders today about this world. Cool? All right, let's get into this. So the first reminder that I want to give you um, is this world is broken. 
And again, this isn't any earth shattering news to you. Uh, like, like I don't need to do much to convince you that this world is broken. You can turn on the news and see the insanity of this world. Um, but, but what I want to do is just remind you a little bit of why it is that way. And so I'm going to talk through some verses pretty quickly here, and we're not going to show them all, so feel free to jot them down and, and take a look at them later. But if we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, which is Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we see that God made Adam and Eve, and he made them perfect, sinless. And he put them in this garden, and he said, hey, you can live here in perfection, free of suffering, free of pain. All you have to do is you see that tree over there? Don't eat from that tree. For the day you eat of it, pain, suffering, death enters the world. God left. Five minutes later, they walk to the tree. So um, they go to the tree and they decide, hey, I know better than God. I want to be like God. And they ate the fruit from the tree. And what Romans 5 lays out here is that the moment that Adam and Eve ate the fruit from that tree, their trespass against God spurred events into the future. And what that means is, is that because of his trespass, sin, death, and brokenness is now embedded in every person who has ever been born since then, excluding Jesus for reasons that we don't have time to get into right now. And that brings us to our passage today, Romans 3.23. says this, you probably know this verse. We got a verse? There we go. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And again, don't let your familiarity with this verse cloud the significance of that. Because the significance of this statement is that all have sinned, you, me, everyone else in the world has sinned and we have fallen short of the glory of God. And that means that we are, we are hopelessly broken. And we are hopelessly sinful. And it doesn't get better from there. 1 Timothy 3 uh, tends to lay out. And, and what it does is it says that in the last days, not only will people be broken and sinful, but in the last days, they're going to descend even further into their brokenness. They're going to descend further into their sin. And they list a very large list of all these sins that are going to increase in the last days and increase in the last days. And so... So this world being broken shouldn't be any surprise to you. It shouldn't be any surprise to me. It's certainly no surprise to the Bible, and it's certainly no surprise to God. This world is broken and sinful. Now, now what you might be saying at this point is, I thought this uh, sermon was called Hope for a Weary Nation. That doesn't sound very hopeful that the world is broken and doomed. Well, we'll get there in just a second. What I want to do before we get to that point is I just want to rest on the fact that this world is broken. Just let that sink in for a second. Because what I, th I think one of the, the reasons that we get so frustrated, so discouraged, and so tired about this nation and world and culture is that we are expecting them to, to do something that they have no ability to do. Like, I don't know if you knew this, but the Bible tells us that if a person is separated from Christ, they literally have the incapability to live up to Christ's law. Romans 8, 7 says it right here. It says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. 
So it shouldn't be a surprise when we turn on the news and we see that the world has lost its mind. You know why the world has lost its mind? Because they're lost. And lost people do lost things. And we can't just keep trying to make people do things that they have no ability to do. Lost people do lost things. So a story came out this week. Um, did y'all hear the story about Ollie London? Anyone? No? Okay. So Ollie London, uh, this week, uh, well, it's been happening for a while, but uh, I, I don't really know what he does. Um, he's famous for something. Uh, I've looked it up, and, and some said it was a TV reality star. Others said music artist. Uh, others said influencer. I don't know. Anyways, so Ollie London um, came out and said, for the, eight past, or for the past eight years, I have been dissatisfied with who I see in the mirror. That um, I have realized, again, he's from Britain. Uh, he's like, I've realized that the culture and the race of Britain isn't for me. And what I identify with is Korean, more specifically the BTS group, uh, and some guy named Jimin, uh, I don't know. Anyways, here's the crazy thing. Over the past eight years, so, so that's what this guy's been dealing with. Over the past eight years, Ollie London has spent uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars doing 18 plastic surgeries on his face to alter his teeth, his eyes, and his bone structure so that he can present himself as Korean, more specifically, this Jimin guy from BTS. You didn't hear me wrong. He literally transitioned himself from Britain to Korean. So the crazy thing about that, you've probably, you probably had a lot of like reactions that I had to that as well. Like, like, like you're probably like f- weirdly frustrated, like what's wrong with you? Like, why are you doing that? Um, you might have been confused, wondering why a person would, would do that. You might uh, find some humor in that. Um, but the more I thought about this guy, Ollie London, spending all that time and effort and pain to transition himself to identify as Korean, the more I landed on this, like, I, I just got sad for him. I got sad that this guy is... I think mid to low 20s, uh, that this guy is so dissatisfied with his life, is so void of identity and so void of purpose that he would spend eight years of his life, hundreds of thousands of dollars, 18 uh, plastic surgeries and all that pain and suffering to come out the other side exactly the same as he went in. Because here's the thing, this guy... Two months from now, four months from now, who knows, whenever the newness of this new identity wears off, he will wake up just as lost and broken as he was before. And so I'm not mad at him. I'm not frustrated with him. I, I, don't, I don't bring him up that, that we might make fun of him. I bring him up because, because he's, he's a perfect example of the lostness and the brokenness of this world. And I could have switched out his story with a dozen other ones uh, that come up in the news that are just as insane. And what I want to point out to you there is that, church, that this world is broken. And as long as we're expecting a lost world, 
and a lost nation to act Christian, we will be disappointed and we will be frustrated and we will be tired because we're trying to get them something to do or we're trying to get them to do something that they can't do and we're bringing the wrong solution to the problem. Which brings us to our next reminder. So the first reminder is that this world is broken. The second reminder that I want to give you uh, is that this world needs a savior. And we all feel this, like, like whether you're a Christian or not Christian, I think there's an intrinsic part embedded in us that knows that this world isn't right and knows that someone needs to come and fix this world. It's found its way into um, our movies and our stories, like things like Harry Potter and The Matrix and Superman and Lord of the Rings and Star Wars. Like all these movies depict a world that is broken and that evil is is working its way to overtake it. And then out of the ashes uprise a savior and a chosen person to come and save them from the evil, from that brokenness. It's embedded in us. We know we need a savior, but the problem is, is that we typically uh, take uh, that intrinsic need of a savior and then we place it on anything that is not our savior. And Israel did this too. So like in 1 Samuel 8 in the Old Testament, Israel was just building up as a nation and Israel decided, hey, we want an earthly king. And so they came up to Samuel and said, hey, we want a king. And uh, God told Samuel this. He said, uh, God was reluctant to them uh, getting a king. And God said, the reason that you want an earthly king is because you've rejected me as a heavenly king. And we still do the same thing thing today. We are still looking for saviors made of flesh and blood living today to save us from our world. Like so, so a study was done back in this previous election cycle. And what the, study, what the study did was it looked into both Trump and Biden as candidates and the parties and at, as the issues of those parties. And, and no surprise to anyone, uh, they found that America's deeply divided on all of our issues. You know, shocker. But what the interesting thing is about this survey is at the end of, the, at the end of talking about all these issues uh, and how to fix America and what we need, they, they polled both the Trump supporters and both the Biden supporters and they found that 83% of the Trump supporters said, if my guy is elected into office, he will address all of America's needs. 89% of the Biden followers said, if you elect my guy to the office, he will address all the needs of America. We're still trying to put guys up and, and make them our, our saviors. Like, like we know, everyone knows that America is broken and we're still trying to prop up men to fix it. That's the wrong solution. That's the wrong solution. And so what this nation ultimately needs isn't a better president, it needs a savior. Romans 3.23, so the verse for today, um, uh, look at it again. So for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, uh, this next part is the part that we probably don't know as well. And it says, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So if I'm reading this verse correctly, which I am, 
If this world's problem is that we have sinned against God and are inherently broken and separated from God, the solution to that problem is God's grace as a gift through the Savior, Jesus Christ. Not anything else. Not any legislation. Not any president that we throw into the office. Not any social reform that we do. All of those things are just band-aids hiding the ultimate problem, which is our sin. And as long as we're trying to throw the wrong, um, the wrong solution to the problem, we will at best put a Band-Aid on it and hide it. And at worst, we will make the problem worse than it was before. So I have this friend uh, who, longtime friends with, we've been friends since seventh grade, um, grew up with him through high school, went to college together. We still meet together every week for coffee. And in 2015, um, he started losing weight. Uh, so he was uh, about 180, and so n- not like a big guy, but not a thin guy at all. Uh, and uh, he, over the course of about four months, lost 40 pounds and did zero dieting and zero working out. Um, it, it, at first it started, you know, he was losing you know, 10 pounds here, 20 pounds there. And it, it kind of became a joke of like, hey, I found the perfect diet. Um, and, and then it started to get to that point that we could start to see like the sunken inness of his face and, and start to see his bones because he's just losing weight so fast. And, and so his family and his friends were saying, hey, I, I think you need to get this checked out, like all jokes aside. And so uh, he finally went to the doctor and uh, he said that the doctor immediately, before they even did any test, said, you're diabetic. He said that he could smell it on his breath. I don't even know what that means. But uh, he said that he could smell on his breath that you were diabetic uh, and did test. And sure enough, he was type 1, had type 1 diabetes. And so the doctor told him, hey, this is just an inconvenience that's going to be on your life. Um, and uh, here's some medicine. And this is how, how you're going to essentially manage uh, your type 1 diabetes. Well, he started taking the medicine, and over the course of the next year and a half, lost another uh, 20 pounds, uh, didn't get to feeling better. He was tired every day, had no energy. Uh, he was throwing up three times a week, and he would go back to his doctor, and his doctor's like, like just give it time. Uh, let, let the medicine do its work. And so um, after a year and a half of this, um, he decided, um, how about I get a second opinion on this? And so he went to an endocrinologist and uh, the endocrinologist was doing some tests and looking at him and looking at his paperwork. And he said, hey, you're type 1 diabetic, right? And he said, yeah, that's what the test said. And he said, why are you taking type 2 diabetic medicine? And if you don't know, type 1 diabetes and type 2 diabetes are really different. And, and it takes really different medicines to, to counteract those things. And so for the past year and a half, this guy who's a type 1 diabetic has been taking type 2 diabetes medicine. And lo and behold, nothing's changing. He's just getting worse. And so the doctor prescribed to him the correct uh, medicine for him to take. And he said within the day, he had felt better than he had in the past two years. That all it was, it was just getting the right solution to the problem is what fixed him. All of a sudden he had more energy than he's ever had. And all of a sudden all of that, those problems were gone. When you think about this nation's issues, like what's your solution? Do you think we just need a different guy in office? Do you need, we need better senators, better legislation, 
Uh, we need to reform the welfare system. We need to end racism. We need to have better tax policy. We need to deregulate things. Like if, if you are looking to fix the nation's issues with things that won't fix the nation's issues, it's just going to make it worse. And let me tell you this, we can get the perfect president in the office. We can fix racism we can, and the effects of racism. We can end poverty so no one ever dies. We can have the perfect tax policy. We can fix the healthcare system so no one ever has to suffer anymore. But if at the end of the day, all of those people are still damned to hell, who cares? Who cares? All we're doing is just placing a Band-Aid on it. And, and, and all we're doing is just trying to make everyone's um, life comfortable before they eventually meet their doom. You know, it's like a, those movies where uh, they're on death row and before they take them to their, uh, get executed, they're like, hey, what do you want to eat? We want to make your life as good as possible because it's come to an end. That's essentially what we're doing. It's like when we try to change things legislatively, what we're doing is we're trying to fix the things on the surface and here, but it's not fixing the problem. The problem is that we're broken, that we're sinful, and we need Jesus to come do this. And, and, and like, please don't get me wrong. I love politics. I, I ponder often and talk often about legislation and, and what would be good for our country. I think that those things are a necessity, but just don't confuse legislation with the gospel. Don't confuse politics with the gospel. And I feel like as a church, we're missing out on preaching the gospel because we're too busy propagating politics. We're the hope of the world, not the Republican Party, not the Democrat Party, the church. So we need to stop trying to fix sin issues with anything other than Jesus, the Savior, and the hope of this world. Remember, church, the world needs a Savior, and it's Jesus. So those are the two, uh, first two reminders. One is that the, the world is broken and that this world needs a savior. The last reminder is really more for us believers. Uh, this is a reminder for us and, and this one should give us a lot of hope um, in our life. And, and this last reminder is that this world is not our home. And too often, uh, what leads to our frustration and our weariness about this nation and our culture is that we've set up camp and we've decided that this is our home. And if someone was to walk into my home, start moving the furniture around, breaking plates and changing everything, I would be incredibly frustrated with them. But if I was in someone else's home and they started doing those things, I would look at them kind of weird, but I wouldn't be upset. It's not my home. It's your home. Do whatever you want to do. And the thing is, as Christians, this world is not our home. Has anyone ever been perplexed like Paul in the Bible? Um, how he was able to do ministry for so long at such a pace, undergoing multiple beatings, imprisonment, trials, sufferings, slander, betrayal, you name it, Paul went through it. And he was still able to stand on the other side, faithful and hopeful. And by the way, Paul lived in a culture and a government that did much worse things than ours did. Yet how did Paul keep his optimism? How did Paul keep his hope? Well, he held the hope that this world isn't his home. Romans 8, 18 says this. It says, this is Paul speaking, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Like you want to have hope in a broken world? 
Like know that this place isn't your home and that on the other side of this place awaits glory that we can't even comprehend. But not only that, but let your suffering in this world fuel your hope. So a few verses down after this verse right here in Romans 8.22, it says this. It says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, believers, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so we're going to hop into that second part of that verse in just a second. But first, I want to focus on this idea of the whole world coming together and groaning in the pains of childbirth. If you didn't know this, uh, about a year or two ago, me and my wife had a baby. So I have experienced the pains of childbirth. Yeah, I was there. (laughs) Uh, My wife's not in the room right now, so I can say that. Okay, I was there. So I didn't experience the pains of childbirth, but I saw the pains of childbirth, which, by the way, is an effect of sin. Like, go read Genesis 3. That's one of the, the curses laid out from our sin is the pain in childbirth. Now, the interesting thing is, um, that was my, our first baby. And going through that process of childbirth and seeing the pains of childbirth has given me a completely different uh, understanding of this verse. Because whenever, uh, how many of you had kids? Yeah? Okay, so y'all know. So whenever you're in that delivery room, and either you're the one delivering the baby or you're the husband there just standing there not knowing what to do, uh, with every pain that happens, you have this, this weird paradox of emotions within you. Because on one hand, um, you have this incredible pain and suffering that you want to end so bad. And on the other hand, every single pain, contraction, push that happens is a reminder and a step closer to the joy of a baby on the other side. Paul is saying the same thing here is true for us. Is that just as um, there's this weird conflicting uh, emotions in the suffering of this world, the same thing is true for us as Christians that whenever we experience sufferings, whenever we experience trials and tribulations, those things, every time it happens, should be a, a marker and another step forward knowing that we are just that much closer to the end and that much closer to the other side. And that should give you hope. That's what gave Paul hope where he said, after I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing to the glory that awaits us. He allowed that suffering to to fuel his hope for the future. And we need to do the same. So so what awaits us on the other side of this? Um, Well, the the second half of that verse um, tells us, so this is 823 in the, the yellow. It says, as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons and the redemption of our bodies... So what does that even mean? That's like some Christianese words. Basically what it means is this, is that there's going to be a day in the blink of an eye that all of this pain, all the suffering is going to be gone and on the other side of that is new. Like new everything, like new heaven, new earth, restored bodies where we um, are living with Christ freed from pain and suffering. Like literally all the evil, all the pain and suffering gets thrown into the lake of fire, never to be seen again. And we're just living in perfection alongside Christ. It tells us that, that uh, I think in Revelation 22, 21, it tells us that in this new world, we don't even need a sun because God's glory is the sun and the light and the warmth for us. What does that even mean? I don't know. 
But it tells us that on the other side of this earth is a place that we don't have to experience the suffering anymore and that we get to live perfect with our Savior. To get back to the story from the beginning, um, so, so we were hopping on this flight and my ear was plugged up and just excruciating pain. We were hopping on this 15-hour flight, and in my mind, I just kept thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I, I'm just dreading it. And I just, words can't describe how much I, how miserable I was. And I remember I was sitting there in the plane, and the flight attendants were doing their, their safety protocol check and all that stuff. And at once, I can't even describe it, this sound in I felt this rip go through my ear and immediately when that ear ripped just a release of pressure and all at once all of the pain and the suffering that I was going through was gone and I was sitting there on that plane and, and I wasn't lamenting the hours of agony that I was just in and I wasn't mad that I just suffered so long because of my ear. The only thing I could think about in that moment is, praise the Lord, <laughs> I can sit here in peace again. The same is true for us, church. The Bible tells us that there's incredible pain and there's incredible suffering in this world. And, and it's unfortunate that sin has caused this. But the Bible says, don't lose heart because we have a hope on the other side of this. By the way, if you're not a Christian, you have no hope. The pain and suffering of this world is just but a glimpse of the pain and suffering for the rest of all eternity. But we as Christians have hope. And we don't have to worry about this broken world. We don't have to worry about everything going everywhere because we know that one day it'll all be gone. And so are you tired and are you weary and are you frustrated? Don't lose heart for I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing to the glory that awaits us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word and thank you God that, that we do have hope that no matter how dark this world gets, no matter how um, insane people descend into, God, that we have hope, that we know that this doesn't surprise you, this doesn't catch you off guard, but you force all this happening and that you are completely in control and that in a moment's notice, you will say, all right, we're done. And so Lord, give us hope and give us encouragement that, that we are on your side in this, that, that no matter what happens today, we have hope for the future. Lord, forgive us where we have lost our temper with this world. Forgive us where we have missed the mark in having empathy for a broken world, where we were more focused on getting them to act a certain way than we were getting them to know you. May you convict our hearts today. 
we're going to have a time of invitation. And in this time, we're going to sing a song. And as we sing the song, we just want to give you the opportunity to respond however God is convicting you. You might be a person who is feeling convicted because you've just been dealing with this world wrong. Um, You've been getting more angry with broken people rather than wanting to love them. Maybe you're a person um, who has uh, never come in uh, to a saving relationship with Jesus. Like you've never given Jesus your heart. You've never, you've never placed your faith in Jesus. And you're like, I want to have the hope that the Christians have. I want to know that one day all this is gone and I don't have to feel pain. I just get to be alongside my Savior. Well, we'd love to talk you through that. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to share the gospel with you in that. You may just need to come up and you just may need to pray uh, for the nation. Our nation needs prayer and the brokenness of it. It doesn't mean we don't do anything. It means we pray for them. It means that we uh, love them. And so maybe you just need to pray for the government, the nation, your neighbors, the people that you disagree with most. Whatever it is for you, we just want to give you the opportunity. So can we all stand up? As we all stand up, we're going to sing this song. And as we sing this song, we want to give you the opportunity to come. This is for you.